Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for bringing us here this morning, whether we're here in the sanctuary or away at home. Lord, touch our hearts with your word. I pray as we leave here today, we be agents of your good news. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. A few weeks ago, I preached on unity. And if I was giving a sermon series, this would be part two to the uh, sermon on unity because if we look around uh, the world right now, we obviously see a lot of division, a lot of separation. But on a very personal level, I think many of us have experienced division, separation, grief, loss in our own lives, especially if you've lived some life. I remember in my early 20s, I was working at St. Matthew's Episcopal Church in Richmond, Virginia, and I was coaching high school football. It was in the end of October, toward the end of the season, and we were heading away game, and with the bus pulled into the parking lot, and there was my priest, Chuck Alley, waiting for me as I got off the bus, and I'm like, uh-oh, because I worked for him. I was his youth minister. I'm like, what did I do? And uh, he said, Steve, your grandfather was killed in a car crash. And my heart sank. See, my grandfather was 84 years old, but he was a young 84. He's like, he like a Hilton Head 84, you know what I mean? He was active. <laughs> he was a retired farmer. He was still farming with uh, the un- my uncle who he had given the farm to. Um, he was a man who uh, loved Jesus, was part of his Lutheran church, went every Sunday. And the great thing about him, as he got older, rather than getting more stubborn and set in his ways, he developed more and more of a soft heart for the Lord. He used to complain about all the migrant workers from Mexico that came and lived in these kind of encampments. He'd complain about them for all different sorts of reasons. But toward the end of his life, he was tutoring them. Some uh, guys from the Bible study was in with, that he was in started doing this, and so he joined them. I remember also there was about the time that cable TV became big, and he had all the movie channels. He never watched TV, and He was watching like Showtime and HBO and all this stuff and came back the next summer and they weren't on the TV anymore. I'm like, oh gosh, now what are we going to do? And he said, Steve, uh, Steve, and he called me. He goes, there's just bad stuff coming in me, all these movies about violence and everything else. I didn't need them in my life. So I appreciated that about him. He had a soft heart for the Lord and I saw somebody who was deeply impacted by this faith. It changed their actions. So even though it was a sad time at this funeral as the patriarch of my mom's family passed away, we were able to find some joy during it. As a matter of fact, I wrote a poem, believe it or not, and I'm no Robert Frost, so trust me, this is my early 20s. Not that I've improved. If anything, I've gotten worse. But I wrote this because you've got to picture this. We're out in October in Minnesota in the middle of this field with this Lutheran church. It was freezing. We're out there shivering. So I wrote this poem uh, about this little Lutheran funeral that we were at. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We stood around Grandpa's coffin, shivering with tears, huddled together like scared little children, helpless. My family exchanged long, neglected hugs. Inside the church, the food was served and the black coffee was poured. Shivering subsided and joy returned. You see, we woke up that day when the, black, when the black coffee was poured as our grief turned toward love. You see, for us, 
in this uh, setting, even though it was a tragic thing, we had the hope of Christ. When I say our grief turned toward love, it didn't mean that our, all of a sudden our tears went away and we walked out with perma-smiles on our face. There was an incredible peace that came on uh, many of us during that time. All of us have experienced, like I said earlier, chaos, personal times of loss and grief. And some of us, through the grace of God, have been able to experience joy in the midst of this sorrow. Rather than this being an event that divides us, we've been able to come together. And unless you've been in a coma right now, over the last three months, you'd know that there are many things that are dividing our country. We have this virus that continues to linger. We've seen cases rise recently on Hilton Head. We've also seen this problem of racism and discrimination pop its ugly head again as our whole country has been aware of the death of George Floyd. We've also seen uh, from the protest a negative influence of riots and destruction. The actions of some bad police have caused many upstanding police to be concerned for their own lives. I know because I have a brother-in-law as a state trooper. The threats and violence that are extended toward them when they're trying to help people. All these different factions that's causing division causing a lot of stress in our country. In some ways, it's the perfect storm. So what are we supposed to do as believers? How do we respond to chaos? Is there more than just a personal hope for us and our individual problems? Are we able to be agents of hope for a world that is experiencing so much division right now? You know, for many people, we stay silent. Well, it doesn't really involve me. I don't want to get involved. For some of us, we, treat, we retreat inwardly. Or maybe we pretend like these things don't even exist. Or maybe we just get angry and we find other people who are angry and we talk about how angry we are. We're all probably guilty of that at times, right? But what would God have us do in the midst of chaos? Well, I believe God's word has a lot to speak to us. You see, God's word in scripture was not just something that was written thousands of years ago that has no purpose for our lives. These words bring us direction. These words bring us good news in times of uncertainty and chaos. Why? Because they empower us with the Holy Spirit. They invite us into solidarity with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the bishop touched on last week. And this leads us to a life of action. A life where the hope we have and the solidarity we have through our faith and with other believers we're able to extend that to our neighbor, especially in times of trouble. You know, as you read uh, the New Testament, and I mentioned this uh, in one of my last sermons, these were not times when everything was just great. There was many, many issues. They had problems that were very similar today. There was cultural and racial tension. There was persecution for believers. There was even a severe famine that hit the time, about the time that James wrote his letter. And when Paul wrote his letter, and I'm reading today from Romans, he was writing to a church of Rome that was experiencing great division between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. See, at first the church was very unified. And then there was this Roman empire named Claudius. I may have mispronounced his name a little bit. We'll call him Claudius. 
And he expelled all the Jews in the area, including the Jewish believers, like, you guys are out of the city. So they all left. But five years later, new emperor, they were allowed to come back. So the Jewish believers came back to the church, and they found out this church wasn't very Jewish anymore. It was looking way too Gentile for them. So there was a big division. The Jewish people wanted the church to look more Jewish, and the Gentile people wanted the church to continue the way it was. And Paul was very stressed. That's why he wrote this letter. He's like, I've got to bring these people together. I've got to unify them. We've got to have some solidarity here. And the reason Paul wanted this, well, he had some ulterior motives. You see, he wanted this church to be a launching ground for missionaries. He had his eye on Spain. And this had been such a solid church before. He knew that if he could get them together again, this would be the perfect church through all its resources to, again, to spread the gospel all over the world. So when you read the letter of Romans from beginning to end, remember what he, who he was writing to, a deeply divided church that he was trying to bring together. He was wanting to let them know these points of solidarity, these things they had in common, so that again they could be together and that the gospel could be shared all through the Roman Empire. So his first point of solidarity for all of them is to remind them that they all have this sin problem, all of them. Jew, even though they have the law and they were God's special people, and the Gentiles. Matter of fact, Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They're all in this. They're all in this together. We hear that a lot these days, right? So this first point of solidarity is that they all have the sin problem. One of my professors, Earl Palmer, who was a pastor out in Seattle, uh, Washington, used the example of this problem of sin, like all of us being dropped off in the mid-Atlantic, getting kicked out of the boat, so to speak, right? So rather than we're all in the boat together, we're all out of the boat together. It doesn't matter what our status is, what our skin color is. It doesn't matter what our income is. We all have this problem of sin, and our false gods, none of this can rescue us. Only Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Only he can rescue. Because in that second part of Romans, it says this, and all are just freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And in our reading today, in uh, chapter 5, verse 6, Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, helpless, floating in the mid-Atlantic, if we want to extend that uh, example, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. See, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile or for any of us today. All of us are sinners in need of a Savior. And all are justified only by the grace that is available for the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That's the first reminder of solidarity that he wanted this church to know. This, and he wants us to know too. The second reminder is this. We are rescued because we are beloved, both for the Jew and the Gentile. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us even when we were stubborn, going our own way, saying we don't need God. We are beloved. John 3.16, we know that verse, for God so loved the world, that's why he sent his son to die for us. John 3.17, 
Christ didn't come to condemn the world, but to save him. See, we were reconciled and saved through his death and resurrection. And the reason the resurrection is important is because we can be people of the resurrection, the here and now, people who have hope. People, when things are getting crazy around us, don't fall apart, don't hide, don't retreat. Instead, we are people of the resurrection. We have hope. We are reconciled and saved through his death and resurrection. But this is only activated through faith. In Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 16, Paul uh, reminds these uh, Jews and Gentiles this very thing. He said, therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, the Jews, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. When you come to faith in Christ, when you recognize that you're a sinner, that God loves you, and you respond to that in faith, you join a large, multi-ethnic family from all over the world over the last 2,000 years of people who said no to self, yes to God, who understand they're loved, they're forgiven, and they walk and live in that grace. Paul reminds in Galatians, with all the separation division, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed, your, clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. Paul wanted this church to have solidarity. He wanted them to know that, look, you're all in this together. All of you are sinners. All of you are beloved by God. That's why he sent Christ to die from your sins. And all of you are invited to join this family through faith. So now what? These are very elementary, foundational things in Christianity. But the reason Paul reminded this church about this is so often we lose track of these things. And when we lose track of these things, then all of a sudden we start getting a wrong view of God. Sometimes we start living our lives in shame because we feel like we're not good enough. So we retreat or we lash out. But when we understand that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, who forgave us and sinners because he loved us, we have a new humanity in Christ. We are a new creation. When we have this new humanity, we have a view into God's heart. And we are able to live out our calling to be ministers of reconciliation with a commitment to love and serve others. Not just those who look like us, but people everywhere all over the world. You see, we are rescued and loved for a purpose. Paul writes, Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received reconciliation. Eugene Peterson, in the same verse, writes this, and I love this. He says, Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it with plodding prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus, the Messiah. When we understand this, the power of this, the gravity of this, our lives are never the same. 
And we also see our, our role as ministers of reconciliation. We understand that just as we are all sinners, everyone is. Just as we are beloved by God, even when we were still sinners, so is the world out there. So is people that think different than you and me. They are loved by God. They need to hear the good news. We are ministers of reconciliation. We share with people how to have faith in Christ, how that can change us. So how do we go about doing this? Well, we look to Christ. Remember, the word became flesh in John chapter 1 and dwelt among us. We're called to walk among people. When we leave here today, as I've said before, this is our huddle, and then we go out in the world and we walk with people. And not just people who think like us, people who act like us and look like us. Jesus hung out with all kinds of people. Just look at his disciples. They were a motley crew, weren't they? There was a political zealot. There was tax collectors, fishermen, a whole uh, broad range of people of different educational levels. And his bigger group was filled with all kinds of interesting people. He got accused by the Pharisees of being a friend of sinners. Well, that's right, he was a friend of a sinners because he, everybody he considered a friend and everyone was sinners, even if they didn't realize it. So we start with him. He had that solidarity of walking with people. You remember Emmanuel at Christmas? God is with us. We are called to be with other people. So how do I understand my neighbor? I understand my neighbor the way Christ saw his neighbor. He walked with them. He loved them. It didn't mean he agreed with everything he said. It didn't mean that he started doing the things that they did. But he loved them. And when they spent time with him, they wanted to change. So we walk with people. The second thing we do is we find common ground with people. Paul did this with the Athenians. He went into this culture where they had all these different gods. It would have been easy for him to say, talk to his friends and like, look at these pagans. These people are terrible. Let's just shake the dust off our boots and move on to the next town. But as he observed and looked around, he saw that they had a god that said, to the unknown god. And he's like, that's my end. Let me tell them about the God who could be known, the real God, the true God, the only God. So there he uh, gave his message. Many people came to believe from that. Not everybody. Some people wanted to kill him still for his message. But he was able to find common ground with them. The best way to, to, to find common ground is to understand your role. Not only as a minister of reconciliation, but we're called to be an ambassador. And an ambassador represents their country, right? Well, just think who we represent. We represent the God of the universe. We have a great boss. So as we go out as ambassadors, we get to know the people. When we were in Honduras, I brought uh, Ken Weisner with me. If you know Ken, he's got a great personality. He knew everybody in the town, even though he didn't know uh, Spanish at all. And he met the ambassador from the United States. He was there in Copan, where we were there. And this ambassador was everywhere with the people. They were releasing all these uh, tropical birds, and uh, there was the ambassador. Then he was at the coffee shop. He was everywhere in this town getting to know the people, being a part of the community events that were going on. See, we're called to be with the people. We're called to find that common ground as ambassadors. 
Paul writes, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Can't be any more clear than that, right? As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When we understand our role, and we have this love for the world like God does, we don't start creating divisions. Instead, we look for common ground because we have a great message to share. The final thing that this solidarity brings uh, is it brings us uh, to be agents who bring social justice and healing to the world. Now, when I bring up the term so- social justice, people have mixed emotions. They think, ah, oh, that sounds like some kind of far left thing, you know, social justice, or maybe they have the opposite view, or people who are trying to impose their views on other people. But now, Christ had a heart for the poor. It's written throughout the pages of the Old and the New Testament and for the oppressed. That's why I say again and again we have people in this church who are faithful to go into our prisons. But there are oppressed and poor people in our uh, expensive homes on the island. There's people who are emotionally bankrupt, who are struggling. It said in our gospel reading today, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. When he sent his disciples out on the first mission, he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Notice he didn't say, just try to get people to convert and believe. Yes, that was, a, that was it, that was it, that was the big part of it. But as they did this, they did this too, because this is close and dear to God's heart. I have two uh, brief examples of this. I was working at a Young Life camp right after college, And this friend of mine I had gotten to know uh, um, through another friend, lived in Richmond, Virginia. This is before I lived in Richmond. And he had played professional or college basketball, almost made the pros, but he had uh, played for Auburn and an incredible player. And God had called him to do youth ministry. And he grew up in a middle-class neighborhood, African-American guy, and God called him into the projects. So he brought a group of these kids to camp with us, and they had never left their neighborhood. I mean, never. So they came there, and there were snakes on the property, and I was grabbing the snakes and throwing them around. They thought I was Crocodile Dundee, right? They're like, who is this guy? I didn't know what I was doing. But, um, but anyway, and then there was a group of kids from the, one of the southern states, and uh, they were an all-white group, but it was amazing because this was a camp for kids who were already believers or at least who were trying to connect with their faith as much as you can as a teenager. And that whole weekend, those kids had solidarity. They walked together. There was no white-black There was no rich, poor. You know why that was possible? Because both of those groups who had leaders that were ambassadors, that walked with those kids. And when those kids left there, that same leader from Richmond went back home with those kids and still was going to their neighborhoods and hanging out with them and telling about the hope they had in Christ. And same with the other groups. They were agents of change, reaching out to kids who had emotional poverty, regardless of where they came from. And my second brief example, and this was a huge missed opportunity, when I was in seminary in Vancouver, we had to pick a church, and we had to kind of like do like an audit of the church, which is a little scary because you don't want to like offend the pastor. But we went to a service, and the service was filled with pretty much nobody. There was a huge auditorium, and there was maybe about 60, 70 people there, and most of the people were mentally ill, drug addicts, or... uh, just a few people that just looked normal. I mean, nothing. they weren't, didn't have any obvious uh, 
disabilities. And the pastor talked about it, and he was apologizing to us. He's like, yeah, those people, but I want to get back to the days when we had the revival and we had tons of people there. And we kind of left there thinking, you know what, he is missing an opportunity because we sensed the Holy Spirit there. This was the Lord's work. He had people that were coming there, whether he realized it or not. Unfortunately, he was faithful to sharing the message, but that's who God had put in front of him. He was called to the oppressed. He was called to the downcast. You know what? Maybe in a few years there'd be tons of people there again, but right now, that was what God called them to do. So what are you going to do with this message this morning? What am I going to do with this message this morning? First of all, let's all be reminded that we're all sinners. Apart from our own, we can't make ourselves right from God. I know you all have heard this hundreds of times, but we, we always need to go back to the basics. Secondly, do we realize, and this is crucial, that we are beloved by God, but God demonstrates his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. See, when we miss that peace, then we live our lives in guilt and shame and sort of play this hide-and-seek game with God instead of understanding that he's quick to forgive. He's full of grace and mercy. When we understand that kind of love, we can't help but want to stay close to God. Secondly, do you realize that, yes, God loves you. Yes, you're a sinner. But you've got to activate this through faith. You've got to put your whole self in and say, well, I, want to be, I want to be joined into your family, to be an heir of your family with all these people from all over the world. Finally, for speaking to you and I, remember our role. We are ambassadors. We're called to proclaim this message of reconciliation. To see the outsider, not just our group, as people who are sinners, who are loved by God, who we invite into the faith. So we, can have, we do this not only by being an ambassador, being a minister, but by having solidarity, by walking with them, helping them to see, walking alongside of them. We as a church have a great responsibility right now, especially as we see more and more division. I think we too are called to do an internal audit, kind of like I was doing in seminary, to look at our church. So many good things we're doing. We all have blind spots. I have blind spots. You have blind spots. If we're going to walk with other people, have this kind of solidarity, we need to learn to listen. We need to learn to pray more. We need to go out of our comfort zone talk with people who are different than us. Remember when the, uh, before the disciples or the apostles at that point were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were in that upper room, they came down, and then Pentecost happened. All these people from, with different languages from all over the Roman Empire were there. See, God has called us to reach out to people that are very different than us. But it starts by just doing an internal audit of ourselves and our church. In regards to this issue of race and racism that's going on right now, there's so many uh, great videos out there, but one person I think that we could all look to is Tony Evans. He has a very uh, biblical approach to looking at this issue that we're finding ourselves right now in our country. He has some great practical biblical advice on how we can listen and pray and partner and uh, heal this division that we're seeing around us. Also, 
let's remember that who we are as a church. Ambassadors, ministers, people who walk with others, people who live out the great commission of going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, walking with us, solidarity to the very ends of the earth. I wanted to end with a psalm. And the great thing about the psalms is they're so raw. For the different writers of the psalms, including David, they talked about all this, the stuff they were dealing with. And this psalm is Psalm 40. And you too made it popular. They end a lot of their concerts in this. And Jordan's going to play a few stanzas from it in just a minute, but let me read a few lines from it. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of, out of the mud and mire. We were all stuck in our sin. He loved us so much, he lifted us out of that. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand and put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And finally, the call to share this. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. In other words, I share it. I don't keep it to myself. So Jordan's going to um, play this song for you, and then I'll end in a brief prayer. us out of that mud and mire. You put a new song in our mouth when we put our trust and our faith in you. Lord, I pray for all of us. Help us not to hide or retreat, but help us to walk with others. Fill us fresh with your Holy Spirit so we leave here today, we'd be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors who walk with others to share the good news we have in Christ. Give us hope. Help us be hopeful, people of hope. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.